I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia, the Agora Podcast Network's spooktacular month of ghoulishly engaging content, celebrating the spirit of the Halloween season. So turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under the beds, and continue if you dare. Chris Stewart from the History of China initiates the rituals this year with an ancient tale from the Qing Dynasty Chinese writer Pu Songling. The veil between this world and the next is usually understood to be an impassable, one-way barrier, a journey that we all must take, yet none of us can ever come back from. Yet sometimes, that barrier seems to be a bit more porous. And in such instances, what would you do if you thought that the love of your life was gone forever, only to find that he came back? Story by Pu Songling. Translated by John Minford. Adapted for audio and read by Chris Stewart. In a village near Jiyang, there was a man by the name of Ju who, at the age of fifty or so, fell ill and soon thereafter died. His family had come into the dead man's room and were all busy adjusting their clothes and making other preparations for the upcoming funeral, when all of a sudden they heard the dead man call out loud and clear. Hurrying over to his bedside, they were one and all delighted to discover that there had been some kind of a terrible mistake and that he was indeed alive and now awake. Nearly poring over one another, they hurried to ask him any questions they could think of regarding the nature of his experience, and that of the other side. Yet the man seemed almost to hear none of their inquiries, and instead demanded that he must speak with his wife, and only his wife, at once. On this he was most insistent, and would countenance neither distraction nor delay. Within a few minutes' time, the Lady Jew arrived at her beloved husband's bedside and knelt, weeping in relief at the foot of his bed where her husband now sat upright. Tears in her eyes, she too begged him to explain the nature of his experience and, and what he'd seen. At this, a faraway look appeared in the recently deceased man's eyes, and he recounted 
when I departed. At first, it didn't even occur to me to try to come back. I experienced such a sense of peace, of relief, that I thought nothing of but continuing on my journey. But shortly thereafter, or perhaps it was a long time, I don't know if time works the same way there. In any case, after I'd walked down my path for a few miles, my mind turned to you, dear wife. I thought that I was leaving you behind. I couldn't face the prospect of facing an eternity without you by my side, nor of the pain my departure must surely cause to you. Surely at your age, there would be no joy left in life, no new adventures or pleasures to look forward to, just counting down the days until you too would have succumbed to the ravages of time and age. Ultimately, of course, your frail form would fail to the point that you would become a burden on our children and have to depend on them for everything, year in and year out, winter and summer, and have to depend on them for everything, until death finally relieved you of all such terrible burdens. I could not stand such a thought, and that is why I've come back. To make sure that such a terrible fate does not befall you or our children by taking you with me. There was a sudden burst of laughter from the assembled family members at this last statement, which could surely just be the delirious ravings of a man only having just recovered consciousness after a long period in a coma. Yet, when asked again, he repeated the same words and then said, I've come back, dear wife, to take you with me. At this, Lady Ju grew notably uncomfortable, Yet she too understood that her husband was still recovering from the effects of his extended sleep, and so responded soothingly. That's all very well and good, dear husband, but you've only just this minute come back to us from the beyond. How will you manage to die a second time? Mr. Ju waved away such a notion as being immaterial, stating, That is no problem whatsoever. I have but a single purpose here. All I need for you to do before we proceed onward is to see and conclude any last-minute chores or responsibilities that need doing, and then we'll be on our way. Lady Ju sat there a long moment, smile frozen onto her face, before simply nodding, rising, and proceeding out of the room. It was not more than a few minutes later that she returned and stated with the same forced cheerfulness, Husband, I've seen to everything. All in the household is as it should be. Very good, replied Mr. Jew from his bed. Now all that remains is to dress yourself properly. Please go and don clothes appropriate for your funeral. At this, of course, Lady Jew objected, stating that this was beyond the pale of propriety and that no one should have to do such a thing. Yet with each word of her objection, Mr. Jew grew more and more impatient, and at last cut her off, urging her to hurry, and that time was short. Finally, in an attempt to humor her clearly still unwell husband, Lady Ju agreed to put on her finest gown. Through all of this, the rest of the assembled family members had stood off to the side, silent save for their occasional sniggerings, poorly hidden behind their hands at such a ridiculous display. When Lady Ju had at last changed into her finest silk gown and returned to her husband's chamber, Mr. Ju nodded his assent and then lay himself down flat on his back with his head once again on his pillow. Once he had done that, he beckoned her to his side. When she approached him, he now demanded that she join him on the bed, tapping on the empty space at his side. At this, Lady Ju was once again aghast, 
but all of our children are around us. It's entirely improper. We'll debase ourselves and earn their laughter if we lay together like that in front of them. Mr. June made no reply but to once again pat the empty portion of the bed, albeit this time a bit more impatiently. When she again demurred, he exclaimed, Laugh! There is no mirth in this. Dying together is no laughing matter. The assembled family members were, of course, taken rather aback by such a statement, and, seeking to appease the clearly growing impatience and rising anger of their father, urged their mother to simply gratify this whim of his, and that they'd, of course, not laugh, as it was simply seeking to gratify a clearly delusional man's demands. Reluctantly, Lady Ju assented and climbed atop her husband's bed, laying her head down beside him. There she lay, smiling that smile at her husband as his eyes closed with a clear indication of deepest relaxation. For a long moment, and in spite of the several people gathered around, the room was filled with an absolute silence. At long last, low snickers were detectable from behind raised hands, when seemingly all at once, the smile on Lady Ju's face faded, and her eyes peacefully closed. Silence once again reigned, with everyone thinking that, in spite of her embarrassing predicament, her exhaustion and relief must have made her fall asleep. At length, the family members approached the sleeping couple. Reaching forth to check them, however, to their horror they discovered that both Mr. and Lady Ju's skin were cold as stone and neither drew breath. They had indeed joined one another in death. 
The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all, the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How, then, am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly, I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived it haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so, by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point you fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing, but you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it oh so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, with no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh, so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked, I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work. For it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him calling him by name in a hearty tone, and inquiring how he passed the night. So you see, he would have had to have been a profound old man indeed to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph, to think that there I was, opening the door, little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness, for the shutters were close-fastened, through fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in, and was about to open the lantern, when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in bed, crying out, Who's there? 
I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, listening, just as I have done, night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or grief, oh no! It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it has welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, It is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor. Or, It is merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain. All in vain, because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he never saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until, at length, a simple dim ray, like the head of a spider, shot from out the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was open wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue, with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray, as if by instinct, precisely upon the damned spot. And have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the sense? Now, I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meanwhile, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say louder, every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous. So I am. And now, at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, 
So strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet, for some minutes longer I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder. Louder. I thought the heart must burst. And now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leapt into the room. He shrieked once, only once. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head, and the arms, and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber, and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught it all. Ha <laughs> ha! When I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart. What had I to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what had I to fear? I bade the gentlemen welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears. But still, they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definiteness, until, at length, 
I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale. But I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice. Yet the sound increased. And what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound. Much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles in a high key with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh God, what could I do? I foamed. I raved, I swore, I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no, they heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought, and this I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die. And now, again, hark, louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It is the beating of his hideous heart. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back. And a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads. But those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back like a moth drawn to the flame for the next installment of Agoraphobia. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.